Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Thanks. Well, who here thinks that God has something good for them? Amen, amen. Like in the next hour, right? We're going to pray? Good. We're going to read scripture? Good. Uh, If you're joining us online, thank you. I encourage you to engage with anticipation and expectation wherever you're at, online, living room. God has something good for you. And you know, when we expect good things, it's so much easier for us to actually see what God is doing, for us to actually experience what he is already doing. You know, when um, I go to restaurants, I like to go to restaurants hungry. I want to get that big plate of food and really have an appetite for it. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. If I'm going to eat all that food, I want to really like have a good appetite for it. Uh, We have laid out for us in the book of Romans a feast spiritually. It really is. It's wonderful. We're getting to just some of the best parts of scripture. We have a feast laid out for us spiritually. Do we have hunger for it? Are we ready and eager for it? Here's what hunger does. Hunger makes nutrition taste good. Hunger makes good things appetizing. If you're not really hungry, you're kind of picky, like, meh, sometimes you end up going for junk food. You sit back, like, eh, impress me. If I really, like, then maybe I'll, I'll partake. Hunger makes us dig in for the good stuff. You know, I'm sure most of us today, you know, we're ready, we're eager to go. We, we came here for a reason. You're driving here. You're like, great, this is my God time. You're kind of getting yourself ready on the drive. But let me just share with you, you know, if maybe, you know, you're not hungry, you're not eager spiritually, what I do when I, I'm not quite hungry, quite ready, when I'm distracted or have um, other distractions. So I used to always you know, if I've got a lot in my mind, if I'm distracted, if I'm not feeling like praying or feeling like reading scripture, I used to always say like, well, I'm going to push through because we got to push through. If we only did stuff we felt like it, we would not have the best of lives. I mean, if I only exercised when I felt like it, I wouldn't exercise very often. You got to get out of the sedentary mode. You start doing all the heart rates. So like, oh, actually I do feel like this, right? I start praying. Oh, I start, you know, connecting with God, start reading scripture. Oh, this is good, right? This is, ah, and then you get into it. You transfer from the land of busyness and stress and confusion into spiritual things, and then you get into it. Uh, and that's, that's good. We want to push through. I'll tell you what I do now, though, when I'm not always feeling it. I stop. I pause, and I let myself get a little hungry. I say, what do I want? I've got a lot of my mind, my to-do list is, you know, bothering me. What do I want? Well, actually, what I want is to know it's all going to be okay. Oh, well, I need that from Jesus. Now I go run into it. What do I want? I just, I want peace. Oh, well, that's found in Jesus. I let hunger, I let um, desire is the heart of spirituality desires that push that says, hey, we want more. There is more. We have that longing and that desire for more. And God has more for us today. So let's be hungry for it. Let's want the good things that God has for us in scripture. Pray with me. 
Jesus, we, uh, we just want to let this morning hunger for you well up in our souls. A desire for you, a desire for what only you can do, for the more that you have for us. Just take a minute to get in touch with our God-given longings and, and needs. What is it this morning that we're coming in wanting and needing from the Lord? Is it his voice? Is it his love? Is it his reassurance? Jesus, this morning we need you. We need you. And as we turn to Scripture, Jesus, thank you that you speak to us in your word. We thank you for the gift, the miracle uh, of the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for raising us up. Would you breathe life into our souls through your word this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning. Um, and just a little background on the book of Romans. Romans was written to the early church in Rome by Paul. So it's like Bishop Paul saying, Dear Vineyard Rome, uh, laying out some things for us. It's a diverse church. You had uh, Jewish uh, believers who had coming in with lots of like religious uh, regulations, laws, a rich uh, his, uh, religious tradition and history they were coming in, and then Gentiles without that same religious uh, history and expectations at all. Some were rich, some were poor. Um, and the book of Romans, he really lays out the foundations of our faith. What is it we really believe about Jesus, and how does this faith lead us to live life together well? So Romans 5 He's laid out faith uh, that we're really pursuing God. And faith, uh, last week we talked about Abraham was justified through faith. Today we're leaning into what the cross does. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand through faith, we have received the full blessings of what Jesus has done for us. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we did not bring anything to the table, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, Though for a good person, maybe sometimes you might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since 
we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Skipping uh, down to chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? This has been said. I'm just going to do this and I know God will forgive me. If that's your attitude, I'm not sure you've met Jesus. By no means we are those who have died to sin. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Through faith, we get to partake with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, dying to sin, living to new life in Christ. Both parts of that are very, very good news for us. Amen. Well, friends, if you have spent much time reading Paul's letters to uh, the other early churches, um, you might have picked up on a couple of themes. Um, it's pretty pronounced in like um, his letter to the church in Corinth that he says to them, he's like, guys, you are like glorious saints. You are spiritually rich. You are seated with Christ in high places. You have the victory. And also, will you just stop misbehaving for like two minutes and act normal? Both are true. Paul has a very realistic uh, perspective on what is happening in his churches and a very realistic perspective of what Jesus is able to do for them. Both is true. And, um, you know, I mention this because sometimes we have a little bit of an uh, uh, impression about, like, you know, we're, we're a little shocked by sin. Or, uh, you know, we say, like, did you hear about that church? People sinned at that church. Like, it's, you know... The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We come here and God works on us. God changes us. It's sometimes messy, but it's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And this was controversial in Jesus' day. People looked at him and who he hung out with and who was attracted and flocking to him and said, oh, that guy, he's got to be soft. Look who's, look who's going to his church. He can't possibly be strict enough. A uh, theologian took to Twitter a couple of years ago to kind of explain away Jesus' friendship with sinners and said, well, you know, Jesus wasn't actually friends with them. He was just, you know, being nice to them in order to get them to, to convert, uh, which we really like friends who manipulate us like that. He was wrong. Jesus was the friend of sinners. People say that sin is uh, like the easiest provable idea in the whole Bible, we look around, we see greed, hate, hurt. I mean, you just don't, you don't have to believe in almost anything else 
to say, yep, there's sin. We, we feel selfishness, uh, envy inside our own selves. We, we feel things that we would prefer to change, lack of empathy, the laziness. But even in the, the places that we are messed up, where we're disordered and, and out of whack, even in those places where it's like, huh, this ain't too pretty, God is for us. Verse 6 when we were wrong, God says it's the right time. When we were weak and trifling, God says he's strong and righteous. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Eugene Peterson says that sin is not God's excuse to get rid of us. Sin is the occasion for entering into our lives and setting us free. He doesn't use sin to, oh, you're just out. He says, hey, this is the occasion that I'm going to enter into your life and I'm going to set you free. Sin is not a deterrent to God. It may be a deterrent to us. Sin can, you know, ruin our lives. But it doesn't stop God. Sin's supposed to be a wake-up call to us. You know, negative, uh, negative emotions, kind of, we're supposed to pay attention to them, to listen to them. And, you know, all emotions are, are good. But negative emotions, depression, anger, you pay attention to it. You notice it. Same sin is supposed to be something we're supposed to pay attention to. It's a, it's a pothole that we're supposed to say, hey, turn, turn around, go, go the other way. Sin doesn't change how God feels about us. Sin may change how we feel about God, but sin doesn't change how God feels about us. He stares sin down and raises us up to new life in love. The cross reveals God's love. This is the, um, in Romans, the longest discourse of what the cross does in, in, in Paul's writing. The cross reveals God's love. It's the free gift of God. Um, it, it's not appeasing an angry God. No one says, I love you so much, I'll send someone else to do my dirty work. No. In the cross, God says, I love you so much. I will come and do the dirty work. God suffers with us and for us to bring us into new life with him. In the cross, Jesus tackles the worst consequences with us and for us. There are a number of uh, different explanations um, that Paul uses, the Bible uses to explain why Jesus died. There are many whys, many hows of what the cross has accomplished for us. Substitutionary atonement, it takes the penalty, the consequences of sin that rack up on our account. Jesus pays it for us. It's a sacrifice. All of love requires some sacrifice, some effort. It's a, it de- tears down the division, the separation, the barrier, the distance that sin has created between us and God. It's an exchange. God's death for, for our, our life it defeats death by his death. And Paul talks about many of the reasons why and hows of the cross. The cross accomplishes so much. But the bottom line is, why did Jesus die? Because he wanted to. Because he loves us to death and back. It says later on in Romans that the, um, the gift is not like the trespass. There are consequences of sin, constraints of sin, uh, but grace 
Grace has far bigger consequence. The results of sin on the cross are not equal. The cross uh, way outweighs. The gift is not like the, the trespass. And why do you give a gift to someone? And usually it's because you want to. Jesus wanted to come to live with us and to die for us. Jesus wanted to love us to death and back. Having reconciled us to himself, there is so much more for our life. Verse 10, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God did this for his enemies, of course, he will give us the best in the future. This is what he did for us while we were separated from him, before we were following him in faith. How much more will he do for us while we, you know, are following him, while we live with him in faith, when we are his sons and daughters reconciled and brought back together with him? If this is how he treats his enemies, oh, guys, get ready. It's going to be good how he treats his sons and his daughters. The cross is the great exchange. Pain for hope, death for life, sin for God's righteousness, our limits for his limitlessness are less for the more that he has for us. Uh, One of the stories that I feel like we've been circling back to uh, a lot recently is the story of the prodigal son. It's one of the main parables that Jesus tells to just illustrate his love. Uh, let's watch a little quick video clip um, and dramatization of this story. He told a story about a prodigal son. The son leaves home, breaking his relationship with his father. After wasting the family money, he finds himself with nothing, alone, empty, and convinced that he had wrecked his relationship with his dad forever. Reaching the point of desperation, the son decides to return home with a small hope that he might be able to earn a wage working for his father's business. As he's coming home and is still a long way off, the father sees his son. And instead of waiting for his son to come to him, the father goes out to meet his boy, stretching out his arms, welcoming him home with a huge hug, fully accepted as his son. The son has two realizations that I I think are at the heart of the Christian soul connecting with God. Number one, I have been living on far less than what the father has. In the Bible, uh, as the Bible tells that story, he says, how many of my father's servants have three meals a day and I've been living on trash? He says, I've been living on far less than what the Father has for me. And he realizes that he must depend completely. He's just got to cast himself 100% on the mercy of the Father and just depend on him to be really, really, really nice to him. And you know, I just, I feel that. I feel the dependence on God that all we have to rely on is God's mercy and grace to us. And I feel the realities 
that so many of us have been living on far less than what the Father has for us. The cross is the great exchange. We have more because Jesus has bought it for us on the cross. We have more because Jesus has obtained it, not because we wish it, not because we hope for it, but because Jesus has obtained it for us on the cross. In this section, there are three um, objects of joy, three boasts, three things we're supposed to glory in, three mores that I think God wants to point us to this morning, to stop, to stop living on less than what the Father has for us and start living in the fullness of the exchange of the cross of what Jesus has bought for us. The first boast or we glory in or a phrase is we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The less that we tend to live in, the less of, of us is deserving, you know, I should, people should do this for me, I, I should comfort, entertainment, uh, those things we use to just self-soothe or, or, or numb, food, popularity, what's here, what's now, you know, how, how can I get, this is the small basket I've got and I'm just going to try and get as much as I can from it. You know, in, um, this might seem like a little bit of a side, but I, I don't think it is, in one of the, um, worst um, church uh, scandals recently, which is saying something. The um, pastor, the perpetrator, uh, he said of these things, he said, I deserve it. I deserve it because I have worked so hard for God. It's really shocking. I deserve it. But that's what the youngest son said. He said, I deserve this inheritance. I deserve it. It's mine. It's coming to me. We'll just push up the timetable, you know, a decade. Give me what's mine. I deserve it. I have uh, written out in, in large letters for me to see every day in my bedroom to remind me uh, I don't deserve pleasure. I am meant for joy. I don't deserve just, oh, you know, food and Netflix. I am meant for joy. I meant for something much greater, much, much better. The more for us is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. The glory of God, what he's done for us, the things that only he can do for us, what he's pointing us to eternally. The glory of God is his resurrection life springing up in us. The fullness of his love, joy, peace, these are things we cannot grasp a hold of right here and right now. That's why we have to hope for them. The fullness of what God has for us, we can't experience all of it right here and right now. We hope for it. We lean towards it. We have an orientation of more, a hope for more. And it's the fullness of what God has done for us. We hope in the glory of God. We can't experience it right here and right now. We want to be happy with what, what we have. We want to be happy with the sunshine. We want to be happy with the good things of God, content with that. But this isn't all we've got. We hold on. We hope for more. And the more is the glory that God has for us. And then the next 
uh, object of joy. We glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. Most of us are insulted or offended by our sufferings. You know, we, we, we treat it like a, a grave offense. I'm guilty of doing this. Like, what? I have to go through this? I have a cold? I am too busy to have a cold. We are annoyed by our sufferings, frustrated by our sufferings, instead of growing from our sufferings. We should assume some level of struggle. Uh, I should assume that, you know, I will struggle in many aspects of my life. I will struggle in my marriage. If it's ever, you know, if it's to get better, if it's to change me, rub off some of my hard edges, we will have struggles. I will struggle in, in pastoring. Unless we just tread water and don't care about anything, you know, we will struggle. I will have struggle in my relationships. People I love deeply will, will die. People I love deeply will hurt me. I will hurt people that I love deeply. We will all suffer. I would like my sufferings with Jesus, please. And I, and I don't want to waste my, my sufferings. Paul writes elsewhere that um, our struggle isn't against other people, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. Um, the Christian faith has summarized our, our three opponents as sin, the f- our, um, sorry, as uh, sin, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I don't think this is quite as intuitively provable as the fact that there is sin in the world, but the world. We know that they are bad influences out there. We see the materialism, the, the greed, the divisiveness, justice to start. And we know that left to our own devices, we do not always make the best choices. We know our weaknesses. We know what, what we are, are prone to. And guys, the, the, the devil, they are forces of evil out there. I think in a world with, with human trafficking, with, you know, all sorts, of, I think that's also fairly provable, but, you know, that's just my opinion. We will struggle. We will struggle. If we expect it to be easy, we will most likely waste our growth opportunities. In my 20s, I did some hard things. I moved overseas all by myself. I expected it to be hard, and it wasn't that bad. I moved back to the States all by myself. I expected it to be easy, and it was actually way worse. But in all those, I remember thinking vividly. Um, I moved to uh, Ohio by, my, by myself, and um, I was driving down this long stretch of uh, flat Ohio highway. I remember the exact part that it was in. I remember the house that was across, driving through, and realizing that my biggest struggle wasn't the moving, it was myself. It was myself, not, not the moves. If we expect it to be easy, we will most likely waste our, our growth opportunities. Thinking about uh, marriage, I remember my mom would say this actually fairly frequently. Um, she would talk about uh, getting married to my dad and 1969 or something, and going through marriage, a little bit of marriage counseling with their Presbyterian pastor who married them, and the pastor said, so, how do you handle disagreements? And my mom said, what would we ever disagree about? And truth be told, in my teens and 20s, 
I kind of judged her for that because I was like, Mom, had you met him? They had plenty of disagreements. Like, that was pretty obvious to me. But when I went to get married, I thought that, I mean, I was a little bit more realistic, and I certainly would not admit to being quite that rose-colored glasses, but, you know, I thought that we were really the perfect couple and would have very few disagreements. But all the conflict, truly, has been for my betterment. I mean, his too, but it's about me. For my betterment and the betterment of our relationship. Um, I was talking to a friend who's uh, been through a lot with her parents. Her parents... um divorced when she was elementary school, um, moved far apart um, from both sides, and um, it was kind of messy, and it's not, some people divorce well, um, neither one of her parents did, um, careers kind of tanked financially, it was super hard, um, they didn't remarry, which is fine, but they also didn't really get friends or support, and then the kids were just back and forth, and um, so she's doing a, she's financially providing for both parents. And, um, you know, it just seems from my perspective that life was going along well. Both of them had good jobs in their career path. And then, you know, they separated and things just kind of went downhill after that. And I said to her, I was like, because, you know, I like to like imaginarily retroactively fix things in my imagination. It's just so sad that they, they didn't stay together and that they divorced and, you know, all this struggle has happened. It's, it's so sad that they divorced. I just said, no, Sarah, no. What's sad is not that they divorced. What's sad is that still 20 years later, they're holding on to the same fears and disappointments and frustrations as they were 20 years ago. I said, okay, yep. That puts it in perspective. Uh, we will all struggle. We will all suffer. If we expect it to be easy, we will most likely miss our growth opportunities. But suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, that stick to it. We've got to hold on if we're to get to the good stuff. Perseverance produces character. Who I am, what I have to give Jesus in the end, this is who I am. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. The third boast, the third thing we glory in is we glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of living in the less of myself, what I got, what I can do, we want to live in the more of what God can do for us. Verse 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And in this verse, it's actually, it's not just God's love for us, it's our love for God. Our love for God has been poured, we've received love, we love God back. And this, what's really cool about this, this proves that we are God's children because we love God. When, when you love God, you can say, wow, man, I love God, I am his child. Once we were God's enemies, which even as his enemies, he loved us and saved us. Now we are God's friends. Now we are God's sons and daughters. Many of us have been 
living in less than what God has for us. We've been camped out on God's front lawn. We've been, you know, crashing in his basement, couch surfing. Want to move in, set up our stuff, say anything. I can have anything in the fridge and look how great my dad is. Look how great my heavenly father is. You know, as we uh, start to wrap things up today, I, I love my dad. I love my dad. I remember my first job was uh, teaching skiing at this little ski area in Connecticut. Um, you know, take the little kids out. And um, so with that, I had to get up very early on dark, cold winter weekends. I was out the house by 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Usually, we prefer to you know, stay in our nice warm beds a little later on a Saturday morning. We were a sleeping family. Every, every weekend morning, my dad would get up and scrape my car, defrost my car. I knew, even at 16, that that was really nice of him. I'd get ready to go places, and uh, I'd be all, all set, backing out the driveway, and dad would come running after me, wait, wait, wait! I want to check the oil before you drive five miles. Like, pop the hood, pop the hood. Every single morning for about 39 years, my dad would get up first, go to the bathroom, turn on my mother's curling iron so it would be warm for her to curl her hair and get her a cup of tea so she could drink her tea and curl her hair. I never thought that he did that for any reason other than love. I never thought he did it for any other reason other than love. The cross is God's gift of love to us. It is the great exchange. We get to take our baggage, our guilt, our sin, our shame, our frustrations, our fears, our worries, and exchange it for the more that God has for us. He doesn't want us to live with anything less than the full riches, the full provision of what he has stocked and stored in his home for us. Let's stand together as we end. Friends, Christianity is about Christ. It's about what Christ has done for us. When we call ourselves Christians, we avail ourselves of what Christ has for us. When we wake up and say, I have actually been living on less. I have been living on less than what God has for me. I'm going to move in, take up residence, and say yes to the full rights and privileges that I've received, bought and purchased on the cross of Christ. Will we let God complete his exchange in us and for us? Our poverty for his riches. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that your cross is effective in every single way. Your cross is effective over our past your cross is effective over our fears and failures. Your cross is effective over our futures. Thank you, Jesus. It's not just our, our, our wishful thinking. It's what you have accomplished for us. Your great exchange for us, out of your love for us. We always see your work 
um, in love. That your love that, that has uh, spurned you, spurred you towards dramatic action on our behalf. Your love does not sit back and say, gosh, golly, I, I wish things were different. Your love marches forwards. Lord, right now, Jesus, we, we feel and experience your love marching forwards in our lives, your love pushing and, and pulling us forwards in our lives. We thank you, we praise you. And we do boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we worship, we boast in you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We say, look at how good our Heavenly Father is. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Mm-hmm.